0: We are going to be studying the last chapter in the book of Daniel, and so we'll be taking a break from the book of Daniel for the next few months. But um, but before we do, before we do, I just want to take a moment to say a few words. I wrestled with whether or not I should say something this morning, and yet I felt like in my heart I need to say something because uh, on Friday night, on Friday, the Supreme Court here in the United States voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, which is a, a big moment in the life of the church. But what I want to encourage us to do is, how do we respond to that, right? How do we respond to this moment in history, in, in our nation, where, where it's something like abortions has been overturned? Where, where we've gone from what feels like, let me put it this way, I think it's an invitation for us to celebrate, right? <laughs> but I wanna encourage you to celebrate in a few ways. First of all, I don't want you to celebrate online. I don't want this to be something where we celebrate by going out and protesting in mass or, or going online and, and, and making comments online. I want you to celebrate in three ways. And so hear me out and understand that I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about saying these things because I know how divisive this can be. But if our celebration, if our response to this moment in history divides us as the people of God, we have failed, okay? So how can we respond? First first and foremost, what you need to do when you walk out of here, if you're thinking about how to respond to what Roe v. Wade, uh, what happens as a result of Roe v. Wade, is you need to go home, open your Bible, get on your knees, and figure out a robust theology of life. What I mean to say is understand God's view on life from birth to death. That this should be a moment where we are gaining a fuller knowledge of what it means to protect life in the womb, but also what it means to care for life at the other end of the timeline of a person's life. There are still debates going on about physician-assisted suicide and, and what it means to take a life. We need to know how God wants us to respond in those moments as well. We need to know about what God says is the value of life, not just in the womb or after birth, but throughout their life. And we need to be at the forefront of this conversation as the people of God. We need to lead the way. And so your first response in celebrating this should not be to, 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 to go online and, and, and create a big hubba-lub of of look how good this thing is. This is a legal and political victory. The spiritual war that God is affecting in this world is not done, in fact, this is more like a starting line than a finish line. And so we need to, we need to go home and build up a robust theology of life. Secondly, I, I think we need to pray about a, a way for us to get off the couch and get more involved. To, to get off the couch and get more involved in the lives of people that are impacted by this decision right? You think about the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and we have examples that Jesus tells in that parable where there are people, there are, there are religious leaders that actually avoid the messiness of the broken person lying in a ditch left to die. And they cross over on the other side of the road because they're on their way to the temple to worship. Church, this should not be a point in history where we are so focused on God's holiness that we trash and thrash the people who are wounded and broken and lying in the ditch left to die. I am scared that we will, as a church, not not Trinity, but the people of God globally here in the United States, will give a response where we are more like those religious leaders crossing over to the other side of the street on our way to the temple rather than that Samaritan man who stops, binds up the brokenness that he sees in this person alongside the road, has compassion on them and cares for them, as they go along the way. So, so we need to pray about getting off the couch and, and, and getting involved in resourcing and supporting women who are considering adoptions or, or, or considering abortions. Maybe we need to even consider adopting someone to help relieve and, and come alongside uh, men and women who are going through this and wrestling with this. We need to be people who are praying for and listening attentively to those people who are wrestling with and struggling with the brokenness and pain they feel of, of, of what's going on inside of them. And lastly, I, again, I just want to reiter- reiterate that we need to pray for our world. Friday's decision was, was a legal decision. But legally speaking, I don't, I don't really care. I, I mean, I shouldn't say that I don't care. I do care. But that's not my primary concern. My primary concern is for the heart of God to saturate the land, to saturate the hearts and minds of the people, and if the conversation is only about a legal battle, then, then the, the battle is already lost. We need to recognize that, that this is not a matter of, of, of flesh and blood, but a battle against powers and principalities. So church, I want to pray and give thanks for God, for his providence and his sovereignty and his continued work in our land. But I also want to pray that he would continue to do this and give us strength as his church to step out, to step up in courage and, and, and in faith, and to step out of our comfort zones so that he might use us in the, in the lives of the many people that are impacted by this issue. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that, that you are a sovereign God. Father, that you are in control. We thank you, Lord, that you can create such a conversation in our nation that that we might be able to affirm and say yes to, to protecting life. But Lord, it's not such a simple conversation. You know that. You know that this is not a simple discussion. This conversation creates rage inside of people, anger, divisiveness, and some of them, Lord, that anger is just a surface emotion uh, that covers up the, the depth of woundedness and pain that they carry. So, Lord, give us hearts and minds and eyes like the Samaritan who can look upon the brokenness of our land and have compassion. And not just look on them with compassion and move on, but, but have compassion and seek ways to come alongside those who are hurt and broken in our world. Lord, help this not become a conversation that is an us and them situation where we say, yay, we are victorious and you have lost. But that we would say, God, this is an opportunity for us to affirm your theology of life, your love for for your creation. Regardless of our abilities or disabilities, regardless of our age, uh, regardless of, of our ability to contribute to society or not, You love your creation. Help us to be a people that affirm that truth, that support that truth, that encourage that truth, and help us to be a compassionate church that cares for the broken, that has compassion, that provides whatever we can to help them experience life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are that kind of sovereign God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys for just giving me a, a, a few moments. I know that um, I actually don't enjoy speaking about what feels like political issues from the pulpit because I think that it, within the body of Christ, we represent a diversity of views around politics. And I, I hate to make a, a political hot topic a divisive place in the body of Christ. And so hear me when I say, I don't think that this is what this, this is. But this is an opportunity for the church. So thank you for taking, uh, allowing me these few moments just to say those words before we move on to the last chapter in the book of Daniel. I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying this study. I've always been afraid of preaching in Daniel because Daniel represents a type of literature that uh, at times feels beyond my scope of being able to put my hands on and and grasp rationally and logically. And yet, I've been enriched by our study uh, through the book of Daniel, and I, I hope you have been as well. Now, Daniel's story is one we know, mainly because we grew up hearing stories about Daniel in the lion's den or Daniel's three friends who have been thrown into the fiery furnace and things like that. But, but even now, I'm talking about it as if it's Daniel's story, and it's not Daniel's story. See, the only reason why we call it Daniel's story is because it pertains to events in his life. But the reality of the book of Daniel, the reason why it was included in the canon of Scripture is not because it tells us something about Daniel— but because it tells us something about God and who God is and how sovereign God is. See, it was God that gave Daniel and his friends favor with the Babylonians and the the Medes and the Persians. It was God who gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams and and visions. It it was God who shut the mouths of the lions, and it was God who's at the center of Daniel's daily living. See, I think the book of Daniel presents to us a clear depiction Of of a great and awesome God who is above all else sovereign over every earthly king, every earthly ruler. See, God is shown to be trustworthy even when the circumstances of Daniel's life seem so uncertain and, and so unsettled. God is our sovereign father, and we are his children. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells his followers that that unless we turn our lives back toward this heavenly father and become like little children, well, then then we'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. In in other words, there's a relationship, a faith-based relationship that's depicted of how we as God's creation relate to God, our heavenly father. So I think the Christian faith at its very core is a relationship defined by our faith in and our dependence on this Heavenly Father. Faith is not just believing in something like it's true or, or a fact. It, it, it's, it's having a relationship with the truth. And growing up, we'd go on these family trips where it would be like a long car ride, right? And, uh, and on these trips, the role for myself and my siblings would be to climb the back seat, to be patient, and to let my parents get us to where we need to go, right? Now... I had no idea how to, how to get where we were going or how long it would take. But thankfully, that wasn't my responsibility. My responsibility was to trust my parents were wise enough and good enough to get us where we wanted to be. So think about this for a moment. At five or six years old, I wasn't speaking up from the backseat saying, hey, dad, get off this exit. 495 is, is crowded this time of day, so this will be a quicker route. Right? Like, I don't, I'm not a backseat driver when it comes, to, well, I shouldn't be a backseat driver when it comes to faith. I'm, I'm sure I, uh, I'm sure I drove my parents nuts when we went on these long trips. But the point is that, that, that it seems irrational, crazy for, for this little kid to be telling his parents what the best route is to take or, or what has the least amount of traffic at, at this time of day. Church, I think the sovereignty of God is like this. I think it's kind of like this, where we don't sit in the back seat and tell God that he's got morality wrong, or he's, he's getting uh, his view of righteousness and justice is out of alignment, that, that it's not the right path to take, that, that, that God's view of love is, is warped and, and, and wrong. I think that that's, that's not what it means to trust in the sovereignty of God. And Yet, practically speaking, we, all, we do this all too often, right? we tell God what we think love is. We tell God what we think justice is. We tell God what is right and what's wrong. And so the book of Daniel actually offers us a corrective on this. The the book of Daniel offers us a corrective on what it means to live a life trusting in the sovereignty of God, trusting in his goodness, trusting in his faithfulness, his steadfast love. It teaches us to trust God's sovereignty because we're all like these five- or six-year-olds who, who can't really, we, don't, we can't see up over the steering wheel to see where we're going. We don't really know the best, best path to take, even though we think we do, even though we, we, we may speak up at times or live as if we know better than God does, right? But Daniel, the book of Daniel, offers us a corrective on this. And I think we're reminded of this one more time in chapter 12 as the book closes out. So if you will, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 12. I'll pick up in verse 5, and we'll read the last eight or so verses of our chapter. Here in Daniel chapter 12, we read this. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, There will be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Father, we thank you for your word, and we just ask that you would guide us, your Holy Spirit would enlighten your word to our hearts and our minds, and give us the faith to embrace it and to live in accordance with your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Daniel ends with a vision. In fact, it's, it's somewhat of a series of visions that pick up in, ver- in chapter 10, but, but specifically here, it ends with a vision of Daniel alongside a river, seeing two people on each side of the riverbank, and a man dressed in linen, kind of standing above the water, right? Now, I don't think Daniel's overtly obvious with who these men are. There's still a bit of uh, a vagueness in this, in this vision that we're told. In fact, he doesn't even say that these are men or women standing on the riverbank, but he just says they are others. There are others, right? Uh, honestly, I'm not sure I could say more than what Daniel said as to who these beings are. There are some who, who believe that the man dressed in white linen, kind of standing above the waters, is the Lord himself. There are others who say that because of the way he, he pledges before God, the, the man who lives forever, that, that these are angels or, 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 or kings or judges with authority. I'm not sure I could give us much definition on that. Some, some think that the, the, the two others on either side of the bank are the angels, Michael and Gabriel, but others just see them as being more judges, more rulers, more people with authority, right? I don't know that I can give us much more clarity this morning in the context of the passage, but that's not what I'm going to focus on, right? I'm going to focus this morning on the message that Daniel receives here in our passage. See, the first question that's asked is, one, is made by one of the individuals standing on the riverbank. One of, the river, uh, one of the individuals standing on the riverbank speaks up and asks a question that basically uh, kind of amounts to what a child would ask on a long road trip, are we there yet? Right? Those questions that come so frequently on those long traveling uh, trips that we go on. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? These, these, these two, uh, uh, this one uh, of the men on the or people on the riverbank says in verse 6, who, uh, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? How long shall it be? Are we there yet? When, when's it going to happen? How long will it be? How can we know more about when these things that you have spoken of will be? Now, what are these things? If you backed up in, in chapter 12, the very first few verses, and actually chapter, verse 1, uh, we're told that there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. There is a time of trouble, right? Earlier in chapter 10 and even in 11, it talks about what this time of trouble will look like. And it is not pleasant. Need I say more? It is not fun. It's not, not, it's not a vacation, right? This is not a pleasant time. But the question that, that, that the individual asks is when is this time of trouble going to come and when's it gonna end? When's the, when's the final end of this world going to be? The, the side note, this is often viewed as being a, a depiction of what we sometimes call in uh, the end times the tribulation or, or a time of great trouble for God's people, really for the whole world. And so the question is when will this world come to its final and complete end? When is it done with, right? When is the, the life in this world as we know it done and over, complete? See, so the question that was asked of the man wearing white linen is a question that we would ask, right? We, we want to know. When should we expect the end to come? When, when, are, when are these, these atrocities, these, these horrible things that the Bible speaks about, when is that going to happen? You, you see similar questions asked throughout Scripture. Job asks it. David asks it. Abraham and Sarah ask it, each in their own way. And it may not all have to do with end times, but it all has to do with trusting in God's sovereignty. How long, O Lord? When are you going to be faithful to fulfill the promises you have made? How long, O Lord? If time is in your hands, tell me, how long? When's it going to happen? When are you going to bring this to conclusion? When When are you going to... For Abram and Sarah, when are you going to give us a descendant of our very own? 99 years later, you think, hey, that's a legitimate question to be asking, right? How long, O Lord? The question isn't so much the timing. The question is, they're trusting God. Is God going to be faithful to the promise that he has made? It's the question we want to know the answer to, but I don't think it's the question that needs to be asked at the end of the book of Daniel. See, the man in, in white linen responds to the first question by raising not one hand, but, but two hands, right? He's making an oath, but he's not making, he's not making a, a small oath, or he's not making a regular oath. He's saying, I'm not just going to raise my one hand in, in promise that this will happen. I'm going to raise both hands, and I'm going to make this oath to the one who lives forever, to God himself. This is a sure thing. The end will come. That's all you need to know, right? The end will come. And, and, and his oath is meant to make it clear that, that not only will an end come, but, or not only that it's a sure thing, but that the end will come. But let me ask you, does this answer that, that the end will come make you feel like you're given any more clarity to your, your curiosity? You say, God, when, when's the end coming? Well, it's going to come. Right? Do you feel satisfied by that answer? No. If anything, we should feel comforted by Daniel's response in verse 8, where Daniel says, I heard, but I didn't understand. Right? I heard, but I did not understand. See, when my kids ask how long, they're, they're not satisfied by in a little while. That doesn't, that doesn't quench their thirst for knowledge. They want to know specifically how much longer they had to put up with my excellent driving skills, right? The man in the white linen doesn't say when this devastating time will come to an end. Instead, he gives us something better. He gives us a promise we could hang our hats on. He gives us knowledge that reaffirms the the promise of God that... That, that it will come to a definitive end. You don't need to be curious about what the future holds. Why? Because the end will come, and that's in God's hands. Do we want to be a backseat driver with our faith, or are we willing to trust God that when he says it's time, that it will be time? See, this is a passage in contrast when when. The man in white linen says that, that it will be for a time, times, and half a time. It's a passage that we kind of hold up in comparison to when we were told this back in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is a passage that talks about this uh, the, the reign of the fourth final kingdom of man, the... the um, which often many people have said in the near term of history was uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. And, and, and the people are told in chapter seven that it will be for a time, times, and half a time. Using, using an Aramaic word, by the way, an Amer- Aramaic word called, uh, that said Adon. Adon, which describes an indefinite period of time. Basically saying, He's going to reign for however long he's going to reign for, right? It's a period of time that will come to a conclusion, but it's, it's more open-ended. It's like uh, my kids ask me, how long do we have to pick up leaves in the yard for? And me saying, until I say you're done, right? It doesn't exactly give them any security of knowing it's going to be done. It's just they know it's going to be done when I say it's going to be done. There's, that's the clarity that they need at that moment, but, but it's not a lot of clarity. It's, it's a period of time that's defined by God but still feels undefined to us. It requires that we keep trusting in the Lord because the duration of time is unclear to us. It doesn't say we just stop doing whatever we're doing because we don't know when it's going to come to an end. It just tells us our job, our role in the faith is to persevere, it's to not give up hope is to cling to the fact that God, who made this promise, is trustworthy and is faithful to do all that he is determined to do. Here in, in Daniel 12, the man in white linen makes an oath that's certain, that's not undefined, that's clear, Right? It may not be the answer that, that the people want because it doesn't tell them in, in the year 2022 or whatever, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this time that's going to be the end and then it's going to end at this date on this time. But here in chapter 12, the, the, the response that the man in the white linen gives is, is one that is of more clarity, more, more de- definition. He does this by using a different word for time, times, and half a time. Here in Daniel 12, the word is moed. It's a, it's a Hebrew word at this point, and it's a word which gives a sense of definition around time. If someone is having surgery to remove a tumor, they want to hear their surgeon say that there are clear margins when they remove that tumor. In other words, they want to know that there are no cancer cells in the tissue surrounding where that tumor was. There is a clear separation between the the. the, 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 the horror of that cancer, those cancer cells and the healthy tissue. To use the example of my kids asking me how long they have to pick up leaves in the yard, rather than tell them they have to pick up leaves until I say they're done, I'd be telling them they have to pick up three and a half bags of leaves. Right? That's clear. It's for a, it's for a defined time. There is a beginning and an end, and God is strictly involved and and in control of when it begins and when it ends. There is definition and a measurable amount of time. See, I think trusting God's sovereignty means that even though we don't know when these events will happen in the future, we are concretely confident that they will happen with a clear beginning and with a clear end, and that is all in God's hands. We know that there's going to be clear margins between this sin-sick world and God's heavenly and eternal kingdom. And so this leads us to the second question in Daniel chapter 12, verse 8, where Daniel says, oh my Lord, what shall, the, uh, what, what shall be for the future? What shall the, the outcome be? So the question isn't so much when will this happen or how long it will go on for. The question that Daniel asks, that we should ask, is what should we expect for the future? Church, the, the future of this world is, is certain. It's definite. The, the world itself feels very uncertain. But we know, without a shadow of a doubt, what the future of the world is. And what the future of God's kingdom is. This world is not getting better. I was talking with Pastor Moses about this passage this week because I was kind of I was struggling with this one, thinking, you know, how, do we, how do we do this? How do we, how do we unpack this? What is, what's our, not only what's, being, what's Daniel teaching us, but where do we go with it? And he goes, you just got to look at the landscape of our world. It looks dim, right? The, the landscape of our world shouldn't give us, be giving us hope, and it doesn't give us hope, but we shouldn't be looking there for our hope. Right? We shouldn't be looking at the, the the circumstance of our world, saying, "Hey, this, this gives me hope for the future." That should not be where our hope lies, because the landscape of our world is dim. So, what should we expect for the future? Well, this is what the second question is asking. In, in Daniel chapter twelve, verses ten to eleven, we're, we hear we hear the the man or the yeah the man the white linen his response to this question of what should. We expect for this, the outcome, the the future outcome. And he says this. He says, "...many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits." and arrives at the 1,335 days. So I think there's three outcomes to look for in the future. There will be a greater divide between the righteous and the wicked. There will be a greater understanding for the people of God but not for those who have turned their backs on God. And lastly, the faithful people of God will persevere to the end, right? We don't need to think or wonder, will the, the, the challenges, the difficulty, the tribulations that we're gonna face, will they put an end to us? No. The faithful will persevere to the end. And so as the people of God persevere in faith, as we we push through the challenges that are in front of us, our faith will be refined, will be sharpened. The righteous will be made more righteous. Why? Because God refines his people through the challenges that they're called to live out in faith right? Our faith gets stronger as we cling to God, as we trust in him, as we let him have his way in our lives. As we trust in him, he reveals himself to be faithful and trustworthy. He he proves himself to be a God who loves us and provides for us. And as he does those things, our faith in him is refined and strengthened and built up. One of my, my sons has taken up lacrosse, and he was feeling kind of discouraged as a newcomer to the sport. He felt like, ah, you know, I'm not very good at catching or throwing. I just, you know, I'm discouraged. Well, as a good father, do I say, okay, give up? You know, or not just give up. Okay, you don't have to do it anymore. Or do I say, no, press on. It's going to be hard work, but it's worth it. Learn through practice. Put in the time. His coach told him, by the way, that he practiced 20 minutes a day for three years. And, and that's when he really started to make progress. Daniel practices faith for 85 years, right? We need, to, we need to learn not just what it means to persevere, but to expect that our faith is refined in that perseverance. That when we trust in God, he is trustworthy to do a work of transformation in us. You may m- remember that, that Daniel persevered in faith when... When when King Darius signed the decree that that was basically saying that no one could pray to any man or God but to King Darius, what does Daniel do? He goes home to pray, as was his habit, right? Not out of fear, not out of concern. He just continues to persevere in the life of faithfulness. This wasn't like a, a, I'm going to go home and pray because I'm scared moment. This was a, I'm going to persevere in the faith regardless of what my circumstances may say. And Daniel was refined as a result of his perseverance in faith. See, the outcome of this world will, will be that the people of God will become more refined, like a fine wine or a cheese, right? Because we've persevered in faith. We've turned toward God. We've, we've clung to him. We've trusted in him, even when our circumstances are difficult. But there will be a greater divide between the people of God and those who have turned their back on God. Those who have said, no thanks, I've got this, I'll figure it out on my own. There will be a greater divide, a, greater, a more obvious uh, difference between the people of God and the people who are following the God of this world. See, the, the second outcome to look for in the future is a greater understanding for the people of God. Now, if we refuse God's hand in this world, we refuse the wisdom and the insight that God offers us. King Solomon says that, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Jesus claimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life, right? There is a location of knowledge in this world. There is a place we turn to for knowledge and wisdom, and it is in the person of Jesus Christ who reveals to us the God of all creation. There is not enough books in this world to contain the wisdom. We could not read enough books or do enough Google searches to have the wisdom and knowledge we need to survive in this world apart from clinging to God, finding our place in his family and holding on to him. Lastly, the, the future of this world will see the people of God stubbornly persevering to the end. I know stubbornly is, is kind of a harsh word, but I don't mean it in a, in, a, in a foolish way. I mean it in the sense that we will not let go of trusting in God's sovereignty and his ways I can't clearly tell you how the math works out with 1,290 days and 1,335 days. There there are people who think they've got the math figured out. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but but I'm going to continue to do my work. But what I can clearly say is that what this text teaches us is that there is a time of great trouble for the people of God. There is a time of great trouble in which temple worship will be stopped, will be put an end to, similar to now. Right? There's, there's no temple in Jerusalem where sacrifices are made. So uh, there is a time when that will come to an end. And the abomination who makes desolate will reign for 1,290 days to be exact. This doesn't sound like a good time or an enjoyable season to be living in. But in contrast to being a victim of such tribulations, God's people persevere and endure. We push through, we cling to God at all costs. We hold firm to him by faith. Verse 12, we're told this, Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. See, similar to the Beatitudes that, that Jesus preached in Matthew 5, this blessing is a characteristic of the children of God. Blessed are those who wait and arrive at the 1,335 days, that's longer, by the way, than the reign of the, the abomination of, of that makes desolate, right? We, we outlast this tribulation. We persevere through. We are there afterwards, right? After all is said and done, we still remain. Why? Because we are rooted by faith in God alone. The people of God are blessed who pass through the trials and tribulations and arrive beyond the margins of this sin-sick world. See, we're not meant to avoid hard times. We're not meant to avoid pain and difficulty. We are meant to cling to God by faith and see him provide and lead us to the places that he would have us go, the destination of being with him. We, like Daniel, are called to persevere. James tells us in chapter 1, "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. "'For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, "'and let your steadfastness have its full effect, "'that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing.'" That perfect and complete is not something we see this side of heaven. That is, that is the fruit of the refinement that God leads his people through and that we achieve, we see achieved on the day of his return when we, when we stand beyond the margins of the sin-sick world and have endured with him to the very end. Church, are you asking God, are we there yet? Are you saying, God, when is the end going to come? How will I know it's here? It's here. I think that's the wrong question that Daniel teaches us to pray here and to ask. The only answer we can give that that can be given to us is that the end will come. There is no doubt about that. But it will not go on indefinitely. It will have a clear ending in which the margin between this world and the next will be cleared of all sin and evil and wickedness. Our future is certain. It's secure. It's concrete. It will happen. And you know, what? I hate to sound bleak. I know. I, I don't want to sound like uh, the end is near or here. But what I'm saying is, the end will come. It's not the world's not going to get better. I think the scriptures teach us that it's actually going to get gradually worse until the end. And the end will be definitive. It's not going to just go on forever. It's not some open-ended time. The question we should be asking then is, what will the end be like? What Daniel encourages us to do is to cling, not to the specifics about how bad it will get. He encourages us to pay attention to how God's people will continue to be spiritually refined as the end draws near. We need not be worried about reading the time so that we know when the end will be here. We need to be paying attention to how we are being refined in holiness, in righteousness, in being the people of God. We need to know what it means to persevere by faith. See, we, we, like Daniel, persevere in faith no matter the circumstances, trusting that God is sovereign, and we are his beloved children. The last words that the man in white linen spoke to Daniel are in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, Daniel, go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. We have a sure and certain future. This is our hope, church. This is our guarantee. This is the, the allotment which is waiting for us. By that allotment, it means this is like your inheritance. This is what's, what's already been promised to you. This is secured for you. You have an allotment in Jesus Christ. Your future is secure. Our future is secure in Jesus Christ. That's the certainty we we should cling to and hold to and and find comfort in. See, by the time that that we reach the end of this book, Daniel's around 85 years old. That means he's lived in captivity under multiple kings, foreign kings. He's learned what it means to live in a a foreign land for around 70 years. Daniel trusted in the Lord to be faithful to his promises for over 70 years years, not knowing when the promise will be fulfilled. See, the promise given to him was to press on, to press on, and you shall reach the end determined to be yours by God. Church, your treasure and your destiny is a sure thing in Christ. God has allotted a place for all of his children But we'll see that only if we let him drive and we stop being backseat drivers in this life. If we trust him to drive where we need to go. So, church, can you let God be God? Can you let him be the God who is sovereign? Can you trust him to lead you to your destination because he is sovereign, he is trustworthy? no matter how bleak our circumstances may feel or how dim our future appears we have a promise the promise of John chapter 14 where Jesus makes this promise to his followers he says let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you you may be also. So church, don't be fearful. Don't be timid. Don't be unsure of what the future holds. Your future is certain. Jesus is preparing a place for all of his children, for all of us to go and be with him. And he will come again. And when he does, he will bring an end to the evil and the wickedness in this world. There will be clear margins between the sin sick world and God's heavenly and eternal kingdom. So don't be fearful. Don't be timid about your future. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. Believe in God, trust in his sovereignty. Let God be God. You be you, his beloved and sovereign, his beloved child. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you and praise you that you are sovereign. That you love us in such a way that that you would make a promise that our, our future is secure. Teach us to stop asking, are we there yet? And empower us to keep asking what this world should look like, what we should look like as we approach the end. Give us the courage to to persevere in faith. To entrust ourselves into your hands to be refined by you to seek wisdom from you and you alone. May we not be concerned about about how we compare to those around us, but may we solely be focused on trusting you and your sovereignty. Thank you for sending us your son, Jesus, to make a way for us to, to cling to that promise, to know that there is a place for us an allotment for us, set aside, and it is a sure thing. May that give us hope to live in uncertain times, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.